0: Uh, Turn with me, please, to the portion of Scripture we read a little earlier. And to the closing section of uh, that passage, beginning with verse 21. And hopefully we will work our way through these verses uh, this morning and evening. They begin, as you see, with these definitive words to this you were called they do have that ring about them don't they easy to memorize important that we do in the midst of daily living in this world but In and of themselves, they're not self-explanatory. They raise a question in our minds. To this you were called. To what? And the earlier verses in this section, as indeed the whole of this first epistle of Peter, uh, provide the answer to that understandable question. And our concern this morning and evening is to explore that and to obtain encouragement uh, as we realize that we are not our own. We've been called, summonsed, and our whole life Individually and corporately, is to be by way of response to that. So let's begin with this word called. We are told quite plainly the Christian is someone who has been called. How often do we think like that? If someone were to ask us, What is a Christian? How would we answer? Isn't it likely that we would think of uh, something that we have done or something that we believe even? We would think of ourselves rather than think of someone else who has taken us in hand who has addressed us, arrested us, laid hold of us. It's easy, isn't it, to think of a Christian as someone who's made a decision or made a commitment or become a church member. And even if we were to think of a Christian as someone who has repented or someone who has believed, what we are doing is thinking of ourselves to the exclusion or the diminution of this other dimension that we've been And our whole way of life, our whole identity, what it means to be a Christian and to live the Christian life is by way of response to what has happened to us. Because without that call that sounded an alarm in our conscience, or awakened an interest, pointed out something to us, invited, assured that we would be received. We would not believe, we would not repent, We would not commit ourselves. We would not surrender, submit. Our whole life is to be by way of response to this call. So many of the hymns that we sing make this clear, don't they? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin. A nature's night, thine eye, diffused the quickening ray. I woke, a dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. Wesley describing very graphically what had happened to him. But even quietly, in an unnoticed way, particularly those of us who have been brought up in Christian homes, we found ourselves being drawn. may not be able to remember when it was that we first believed, but we were brought. Jesus said, didn't he, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, meaning the Jewish fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I came to Jesus as I was. That's the story. That's the explanation of who we now are and why. We are the kind of people we are. But he laid his hand upon us and brought us to himself. And that is what this word called reminds us of. Well, what is it that we've been called to? The New Testament contains many descriptions of that. And Peter has several. Uh, He refers in the second chapter to their having been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. He refers to the way in which they've been called to inherit a blessing, called to eternal glory by Jesus Christ, and, of course, called to be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. But here in this context he is referring to something very particular and special. He's emphasizing the fact that Christians are called to do good. They're called to do good. If you have the King James Version The word conversation occurs in this letter so many times. It means, of course, not just speech, but way of life, conduct, character expressed in our uh, deeds and attitudes, as well as in our words. There in verse 12 of chapter 2, speaking about the Gentiles, the pagans, who might speak against you. Nevertheless, by your good works, which they behold, which they will notice, will glorify God. Then again in verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, and verse 20, when you do good, he's emphasizing that this is what we're about. It's what is meant, you see, by thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That second great commandment that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, pointed out as a summary of the second table of the law. Doing good, then, is what we've been called for. But that isn't all of it, is it? Your eye has probably noticed that even these verses that we've quoted, we've only done so in part because closely associated with doing good is suffering for it. If you do good or when you do good, in verse 20 and suffer that connection is repeatedly made in this epistle chapter 4 and verse 16 if anyone suffers as a christian let him not be ashamed this is the will of god what christians have been called to you see is to do good and to suffer for it. That's the point. To do good and to suffer for it. Now, isn't that a contradiction in terms? Peter recognizes the appropriateness of suffering for doing evil or being wicked. There in verse 20... What credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? It's those who do evil who are justly liable to punishment for it. And that is why there is law and order uh, established in the earth. Peter envisages it in verse 14. Governors, he says, local governors of the Roman Empire. Governors as those who were sent by God for the punishment of evildoers. How right that is. How, how good that is. How proper that is. But what about Those who do good and suffer. There's something out of place. Not quite right. It's a bit incongruous. They are the ones who should not suffer. But they are the ones who are suffering. What's the explanation? How on earth can Peter say, to this you were called? This is part of God's plan and purpose for his people. Every bit as much as they are being called to liberty from the wrath of God, liberty from bondage to the law as a condition of their obtaining God's blessing. Every bit as much As blessing is suffering in the call to be a Christian. What's the explanation? It's remarkable, isn't it, that Peter should be raising this question and providing the answer. You think of what you know about him from the Gospels. If there was one thing that had no place in his thinking with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ and himself and his people, it was suffering. And we look at that a little bit more this evening. But here, here is an indication of the great change that has come over him. And no longer is he protesting. He's saying that this is an intrinsic part of the calling and purpose of God for his people, here upon the face of the earth, that they should suffer. What's the explanation? Well, there are two explanations. They are intimately connected. And the first is the fact that those to whom he was writing were living among pagans. There in verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, the pagans, the outsiders. They're in the world. And that kind of climate means that it's inimical and hostile, but also very, very fickle, unchangeable. It seems that Peter was writing at a time when there was relatively little persecution. But he envisages prophetically a time when there would be much more severe persecution, the trial of your faith fiery trial which is to try you. In spite of the fact that these believers are to be respectful, give recognition to those in authority and the various structures of the society in which they live. They're to be submissive That's a key word of his. Look at verse 13. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king, that's the emperor, as supreme, or to governors, as those who were sent by him. Later on, he talks about honoring all people. Slaves being respectful toward their masters, not only those that are kind, but the the opposite. Believing wives are to be respectful for their unbelief toward their unbelieving husbands. The Christian is not a subversive member of society because he's a Christian. He is one that seeks to maintain law and order and peace. And yet, so often, the tables are turned on him. Why? Well, because the world is fickle and because rumor spreads. He envisages the possibility here that even when they're doing good, someone may say they're doing evil. You think of the kind of thing that can happen, has happened, in a Muslim society and village in Pakistan. Someone accused of blasphemy and immediately there's an uprising and worse, that's the world, today they praise, tomorrow blame, that happens, because they're without knowledge, ignorant and foolish, this is the condition of mankind, it's not complimentary, I grant you, but it's not meant to be offensive. It's meant to be accurate. What is it that people know about the law of God and the God whose law it is? What do they know about their own sin and need? What do they know about the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was sent to save us from our sins and from guilt and to give us freely life eternal and make us holy and happy? Useful on earth and holy in heaven, hardly anything. And that isn't just, is it? Miles and miles away across the seas. It's here in our own land. Suffering can occur for Christians in the UK. Granted, it may not be severe, it may not be physical, but it can be very, very hurtful, perplexing, confusing. Promotion can be lost. The world is ignorant and foolish. It doesn't know what's in its best interests. And what's in its best interests is what Christians are to represent by their words and by their deeds. And so that's one explanation why Christians suffer. It's because the world in which they are do not appreciate them. Doesn't that remind you of something else? There was somebody else, wasn't there, who? was not appreciated, not identified for who he was and why he came. And that's the second reason. And that, of course, is the big and the ultimate reason. Because Peter writes, for Christ also. To this you were called, because Christ also suffered. We've been called to him, and we are in him. And all the blessings that we receive, we receive from him, because of him. And that applies to suffering too. It was the path as we've been singing. It was the path that he trod, should not the servant tread it still. He suffered the most for doing the best, didn't he? You remember Peter said he went about doing good healing those that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. His whole life was a life of love toward God and love toward his fellow men. And the common people were attracted to him because of his whole demeanor, the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they noticed, rather gleefully perhaps, But he knew what he was talking about. He taught, he spoke with authority. And not as the scribes. But publicans and sinners flocked to him. And it stirred up the enmity of the scribes and the Pharisees. He was a people person. Why? Because God is... The one who created us is the one who loves us. And therefore, the one whom he sent the the embodiment of his character, namely his son, is the same. And he went about doing good, healing those that were oppressed and so on, but suffered the most. He endured verbal assaults. He was maliciously spoken about. Blasphemer, lawbreaker, companion of sinners, doubtful morality, prince of the demons. He suffered psychologically because he became human, was part of our humanity, he had feelings too, grief and sadness, amazement, agony, tears, and yet all that he was doing was the best, and yet he suffered the most. And you and I have been called to him There is nothing that can cross our path as we seek to do what is pleasing and honorable in his sight. There is nothing that can cross our path that he did not encounter. So that Peter can say, we, not just Paul, we are partakers of his sufferings. Yes, there were some sufferings unique to him, which the chapter will close with. But there are some sufferings which are not unique to him, which he left behind for his church to fill up. The church is always the church under the cross. It will never, as long as it seeks to follow him, earn... The praise of the world. It's one or the other because of what the world is like. That those who display what it needs but hits will suffer like the one they serve. Perhaps Peter was remembering that it's the peacemakers that are persecuted. It's those who do good who suffer for doing good. But in that situation, what are we to do? Well, you know the answer to that. You suffer with him and for him. Being respectful even to authorities as he says who are out to persecute be ready to give an answer to those who ask a question it sounds a bit uh, ordinary and courteous but really it's a trial for life or death who is to be owned give the answer make your confession of faith with meekness and fear, Peter says. And in that circumstance and condition, the spirit of grace and glory will rest on you. There will be some kind of testimony borne by God Himself through you to those intent on doing you harm. He calls it a day of visitation. There are many places where we live and work and God is absent, but you were there. And when for any reason or circumstance you were maligned and misrepresented, or hindered from promotion. In all these circumstances, here by our meekness is an opportunity for the gospel to be seen. And for Jesus Christ to draw near and highlight something different to an ignorant and foolish world, we've been called to it. Isn't it an honor to suffer for the one who suffered more for us because he bore our sins in his own body on the tree He suffered more for us than we will ever be called upon to suffer. Call to it. Let us rejoice when we suffer anything for the sake of his name. Amen.